It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Well, last week, I could not wait for Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi to go in front of Congress so they can go over what they discovered in their reporting with the Twitter files that have been not widely reported, but have been flat out fascinating and aggravating. But I wanted to hear the insight. And maybe Matt Taibbi did, too. Joining us now is the uh, journalist and author of Griftopia, The Divide, The Business Secrets of Drug Dealing and Hate, Inc. He's got a great column that you can subscribe to on Substack. Matt, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Brian. So, so Matt, I, I read what you wrote about your meeting, so I know you were kind of nervous and anxious to look forward to telling everything that needs to be told about what we discovered uh, on Twitter with the Twitter files and the access you got. Instead, what happened? Well, uh, the Democrats, um, I expected them to attack us, but um, really they, they were really comically – uh, inept attacks and um, cut off any attempt to to engage in any kind of conversation about the material, and and really just tried to get us to uh, you know admit that Russian interference happened. They tried to talk about my sourcing, which was very strange, um, and they called us a direct threat to people who oppose them, which is you know it's the kind of thing they complained about with when Donald Trump was president. Um, you know, if he had said that to a journalist, can you imagine what the reaction had been, would have been? So-called journalist, you mean? Right, so-called journalist. That's right. I forgot about that whole thing, too, as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so called a so-called journalist. So, Matt, like so I've been following it, and it's not easy. Uh, Elon Musk uh, said well, you can have access to the Twitter files and to go in there sectionally and organize and see what you see here and report whatever it is. And the same thing with Michael Schellenberg and Barry Weiss. You know, the threesome. So, right, you, the threesome. yeah, you threesome, you were called. It's unbelievable how people didn't even put their research time in. Can you give the, of my listeners an idea of some of the things broadly that you discovered? I think the, the key things that we found, one, that there's a formal system, a reporting system, where all of the platforms um, like Facebook, uh, TikTok, Google, uh, Twitter, they um, were receiving moderation requests or censorship requests uh, through a, um, a, uh, a system where the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security were funneling requests from every corner of the government federally and also from all 50 states. Um, they had a system that was pretty much formally set up and in place by 2020. And then I think the, the, the other major thing is that we found that most of these private anti-disinformation um, laboratories that you might have heard about, like the Digital Forensic Research Lab, um, the Stanford Internet Observatory, a lot of these are either partnered with the government or funded by the government. So it, it appears to be a private effort, but actually it's, it's a taxpayer-funded effort. Suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop. That's pro- you see all the revelations on that and how it was tabletopped in the summer before the actual release. Proving the existence of shadow banning. The FBI acting, uh, acting of a subsidiary of Twitter, perhaps, when you talk, talk about them putting $3.4 million dollars and you also told me that you feel as though they were underpaid uh, at Twitter because of how much they've been asked by the FBI. 
Uh, it also became clear that Adam Schiff's office was seeking to ban journalists. We know that. Senator Angus King, that was a revelation, too, doing the same thing, one of which was his opponents. Pfizer's board member flagging tweets over questions about the COVID shot. So you had everybody trying to manipulate these social media platforms, and which would made more comprehensive is a lot of them would launch into the media cycle. For example, Washington Post would cite Twitter off a phony story of the source and the, the New York Times, and would, next thing you know, CNN is reporting that the Washington Post and New York Times were reporting a story off Twitter that was basically manufactured. Yes, and I think that's that's a key point to the whole thing is that the, the media, which should be a, a check on this system, instead of investigating any of these groups, they partnered with them. So if all else failed, if the government failed to get somebody removed, if an NGO failed to get somebody removed, the next step would be they would go to a friendly reporter at the Times, the Post, the Financial Times, or any other, any of a dozen publications, who in turn would call a company like Twitter and say, why haven't you removed these 15 accounts? And can you tell us by the end of the day if you're going to do that or not? Um, the company learned that if they didn't do that, they could expect some bad headlines by the next day. So that was they became part of the system, essentially, uh, which is a total breakdown of what the role of the press should be. So for me personally, if I found out that Donald Trump or Mick McIlvaney, uh, Mick Mulvaney or Robert O'Brien or anybody was calling Twitter or met and saying, take this down, bring this up, bring this up. Here's a one million dollars to go research this. Make sure you talk about Trump's approval rating, really double than what he is, whatever it is. I actually would be just as outraged. And and I would say that uh, you would have gotten respect, I think, from both sides of the aisle. I don't think maybe the majority would necessarily make it the first revelation. But we'd have to get to the bottom of what's happening with social media and who's manipulating what. But instead, of them digesting this and having a counter, they wanted to get on your credibility. Here's some of the exchanges. Here's one of the exchanges between uh, you and uh, and one of the— Oh, oh, yeah. Congresswoman Garcia. Listen to this. When was the first time that Mr. Musk approached you about writing uh, uh, the Twitter files? Again, Congresswoman, that would. Uh, I just need a date, sir. But I can't give it to you, unfortunately, because this, this is a question of sourcing. So you're not going to tell us when Musk first approached you? Again, Congressman, so you're asking me to re- you're no. asking your journalist to reveal so a source. You, well, sir, I just don't understand. You can't have it both ways. But let's move on because no, he can. He's a journalist. No, he can't because either Musk is the source and he can't talk about it, or Musk is not the source. And if Musk is not the source, then he can discuss. No his one has yielded. The gentlelady's the out of order. You don't and get to speak. She's out of order because he's interrupted. The gentlelady's not recognized. You're not recognizing. He's not said that. But what he has said is he's not going to reveal his source. And the I fact that Democrats are pressuring him to do so is such an honor. We're asking him about his You guys were almost laughing at this, right? <laughs> well, I mean, yes, it's laughable, but it's also not. Um, look, it, it, it may not be exactly a Sherlock Holmes mystery in this case about the sourcing. But the fact of the matter is I made a deal for attribution and – um, I have to uphold. It's not my deal to break. That's the whole point. I mean, as you know, Brian, and any journalist, when, when you make an arrangement, um, it's up to the source to decide whether or not you're allowed to disclose, um, you know, who, who gave you what. And for them to pressure me to break that deal on television shows that they don't understand 
the business very well. Also, the, the other thing is saying is trying to figure it out. Like, oh, if he if he didn't say this, that must mean the source is that. That's the same thing as asking what the source is, right? Like, you know, it's it's totally inappropriate, and it shows that the Democrats have kind of lost the plot when it comes to understanding, um, you know, free press ethics. And then the, you also cited this exchange. You since wrote on Substack about your experience there. And my, my opinion, it's like you're let down. You were looking forward to exposing all the reporting you're doing because you mentioned that any journalist, despite whatever you think, uh, about how this would come out, would love to know what went on in 2020 and after the 2021, after the pandemic started with this whole revelations about the uh, about the shadow banning that took place, the neutralizing of other s- sources like Dr. Bhattacharya of Stanford. So here's a little of the exchange and talk about disrespect. I think that was shown towards you. Cut 57. We live in information age where malign actors do want to use social media to influence our elections, both big, the ones that you've spent a long time talking about, and small, like mine. Mr. Congressman, and it should be a bipartisan goal. No, you don't get to ask questions here. Okay. It should be a bipartisan goal to ensure that Americans and only Americans determine the outcome of our elections, not fear-mongering. And I think, I hope that you can actually take this with you, because I honestly hope that you will grapple with this, that it may be possible that if we can take off the tinfoil hat, that there's not a vast conspiracy. What what an insulting series of phrases and also telling you not to speak. What is your thought about tinfoil hat when you're reporting the facts? Well, first of all, that's, that's a technique that people have been using now for the last six or seven years to um, avoid talking about a subject. If they, if they don't want to grapple with material, they just say it's a conspiracy theory. And that's actually ironically one of the problems with this disinformation, anti-disinformation complex is that they will label something a, a conspiracy theory before it's been proven to be false, like, for instance, the lab leak theory. Um, but in, in, in that particular case, it was very offensive because he made the point that in his um, one of his elections, there was that issue with Lev Parnas and financing, and there was a court case. And I was going to I was going to point out that the, the, he had proven that there was an appropriate forum for dealing with that uh, in the courts already, and we don't need to create this extrajudicial system. Uh, and he wouldn't let me say that, and so that that was very frustrating. And Goldman was probably the worst. He was just attacking you in particular. But I, I also thought they just didn't do any of their research. If they wanted to counter uh, counter narrative, they got to put in the time. They just got to find out what you wrote and then say, this is my problem, Matt. This is what, what you wrote or what you discovered. I interpret it differently. And then it would have been an interesting exchange. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they didn't do any homework at all. And. I was shocked uh, by uh, Dan Goldman, who is uh, a Stanford-educated former assistant U.S. attorney. He was obviously the lead prosecutor in the, the Trump impeachment, who asked me if I, whether or not I agreed with a pair of indictments. Now, any first-year law student knows that indictments are not proof. They are, they, they are charges. They, they, they cannot be said to be proven unless they 
have um, been tested in a fair trial setting against the defense's case. Uh, but he said that it, they definitively established something, uh, and then he asked me to agree with it. It was very much – it was sort of like out of the, the HUAC hearings from the 50s. And I said, I, I can't agree with that. I haven't evaluated that evidence. I don't know, you know. And and it was a very, it was so discordant to hear that coming from a lawyer, and especially one of, you know, that stature, which was incredible. It was. Now, you're not done yet, are you? No, I hope not. I, th- I think we have more investigating to do, and I'm trying to map out um, we hired a whole group of people to map out uh, all of these different NGOs, where they're getting their money, um, what they do, what their methodologies are, because I think people need to understand that when they see the words anti-disinformation, what that really means is censorship, and they have to be aware of how much of it is going on. So we're going to try to help people uh, get a resource for that. What has been the reaction since your testimony from just your friends and family? I think it was an important moment because I, I've, over the years, lost a lot of friends. Um, you know, on the left, uh, you know, I've, I've even had trouble within my own family. But I think the hearing um, exposed some things about the change in the Democratic Party and its intolerance for civil liberties, which is a new thing. It's one of the things that attracted a lot of us to the Democratic Party once upon a time. And seeing the way that played out, um, I, I think, changed a lot of minds. I got a lot of calls from people that were, um, you know, helped repair some relationships, which is which was great and, and, wow. and really encouraging. I, I, yeah, I just I just thought, think you just warrant so much respect, even if people disagree and it just wasn't given to you. And I think these people owe you an apology, Matt. But, well, thank you, Brian. Yeah. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.